Lord, God, we come to you. Lord, as we open your word, we don't do this lightly. God, we do this honored that you would continue to to walk with us, that you would continue to release stuff to us. So this morning, we come humbly to hear your word, to hear the things that you have for us. Lord, we pray this morning that you allow it to, to go into our hearts and to grow the things you want us to grow. Lord, whatever I say this morning that's not of you, may it fall away. But the things that you want to establish this morning, may they lock into our heart and begin to grow and begin to set us on fire. We love you and we honor you and in your name we pray. Amen. So, last week, we're going through Ephesians. We're currently at Ephesians 3. Slowly but surely, we are ticking away through Ephesians. But last week, I spoke about um, the Paul's ex- explanation of the Israelites and the Gentiles joining together, that God had planned a purpose and given an idea to the Israelites, and he had brought the Gentiles into that. If you haven't heard that, you can go and listen. But the, the, the point of what Paul was saying was that there was a plan given unto one group of people, but God established a plan for the Gentiles to be brought into that system, to be brought into that promise that was given, that God is exactly who he promised promises he was. Who he says he was from the very beginning is who he is. And he reveals that through and through. And Paul Paul takes the, the, the time to explain the importance of the difference between Jew and Gentile. Paul, as a Jew himself, comes and gets sent unto the Gentiles, but he reveals constantly along the way this, this tension between Jew and Gentile. And, and as I said last week, he, he preaches and he explains explains that there's a breakdown between the hostility, that no longer are there two different types of people, that in Christ, as we come into him, we become one people. We become known as one uh, one spirited people in him. But then Paul goes on and 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 he writes this in Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written you briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was made me by the working of his power. I love that Paul explains himself as a prisoner of Christ. And I think that's such a challenging thing because in our persecution, the little that, that we have in this country and in the West, we often want to blame God. We often want to take a position of, I shouldn't be here, right? The position that Job had. I'm the righteous one. I shouldn't be in this position. But Paul exclaims, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Christ wasn't keeping him prisoned. Christ wasn't binding him up, but he realized why I was there. I am suffering persecution in order to reveal the King of Kings. That challenges me because as a, as a Christian, when we go through persecution, when we are on our knees before a, a mess that's in front of us, we want to ask God, why, why, why? But Paul reveals himself, whatever I do, I do because of the glory of the King. So even though I'm in this mess, even though I'm in this prison, Lord, I will reveal your name. 
I said last week, we kind of carry, uh, especially in the West, we carry this sort of um, entitled little child syndrome, this brat-like syndrome of, I shouldn't have to do this. But Paul never, ever exclaims that. He realized, it doesn't matter what you do to me, I will reveal the king in every step that I take. He counts it as all joy. I counted my mess as joy. How? Because he realized who Jesus was. He realized that this hundred years doesn't matter what you do to me. I'm going to make it through. I'm going to proclaim the name of Christ. And at the end, you're going to be the ones suffering. I love when Paul, I don't remember where it is, and I don't know why I'm going to say it, but it just jumped in my head. But I love when Paul's in prison, and I think it's uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila come to him and they say, there's things happening that are being taught that aren't what you showed us, Paul. And he says to them, is Jesus being proclaimed? And they say, yes. He goes, then it doesn't matter. You know, I, I take that, that view with other churches here on the Gold Coast. Are they preaching the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ? Yes. Then it doesn't matter. Let the King go forth. Let the name of Jesus reign. The fact that Hillsong has put up on that board, Jesus is enough for me to go, man, let the people see that. Let people know what that name is. That was the passion that Paul carried, even when he was in prison. But I spoke last week about this, about the Gentiles not being given the promise to begin with. That the Gentiles weren't given the promise to begin with. But it says here that there was a mystery that was made known by revelation unto Paul. There was a mystery that God had planned, had purposed together, a plan for the Gentiles to join their brothers and sisters, Israel, in who he is. And it says that it wasn't, it wasn't revealed. You know, as I was pondering more and more and more on this mystery, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when he, when he meets the two travelers, he reveals himself in every book of the Old Testament. It says that he reveals himself in every book of the Torah, every book of the Lord. Jesus was there. It's a fascinating study. If you go back through and read the Old Testament and look for Jesus, it's a fascinating study. Because in the most incredible places, you see the promise of God. So even in the beginning, even before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan that was hidden in mystery unto all the people of earth, all the people that he had created. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In That's why for me, the, the, the Bible is a living breathing organism. Why? Because Jesus has hidden mysteries in there that age upon age upon age, the mysteries of Christ get revealed. Any other text has been studied, restudied, refined, refound. We know what it means. We have A to B, it's finished. Except for the Bible. The Bible is more and more gets unpacked. The more revelation comes out, the more that gets revealed. That for me is my, my struggle with denominations because denominations get to a certain point they mark their flags in the ground and they say this is who we are this never changes but you're failing to allow the revelation of the scriptures to continue to grow you to continue to move things deeper there will be stuff that god will reveal in the scriptures five ten years to come that will change who we are because the bible grows us it stretches us it takes us deeper two thousand years and some we have been studying this book and it's taught new and new things. We see more stuff understood. So when we, when we camp, put our flagpoles down and we camp in one position and we say, this is it, and we close our hand 
then God goes, there's no more I can do with you because you're not allowed, allowing the revelation to flow in and through and change things. And there's something that God showed me this week while I was, while I was studying that, that has changed my grid. And I'm going to apologize for preaching the opposite thing from this battle. Why? Because we have to learn and grow as a people. One day you're going to wake up and realize something you've learned for years that maybe your grandfather taught you in the scriptures may be wrong. And you're going to have to eat a little piece of pie, humble pie, and go, God, show me. Because it's not about what some man has told you. It's not about what some famous preacher has told you. It's about what God is revealing through his scriptures. If the last five months has taught us anything, it's taught us to stop putting our trust in man. We have seen leader after leader fall away. Incredibly powerful, strong men of God turn out to be just as broken as we are, just as manly as we are. The only man that you can put all of your faith and trust in and know that he will never, ever, ever break who he says he was, was Jesus. So even for myself, test what I say. Take it back to the Scriptures. Ask God, reveal this to me. Why? Because one day, I, I pray to the Lord, it never happens, but one day I may fall over. And I hope that I've shown you him, not me. And what's happened is, maybe it's not these men and women of God's fault. Maybe it's our fault for putting too high a, a name on them, for putting them too high up on a pedestal. But what happens was they fall over and now we don't know what to do with all the stuff they taught us about him. Be it right or wrong, we get to a position where we go, maybe it's all hooey. Maybe I wasted that time. But if you only see Christ, he will never ever let you down. N.T. Wright tells an incredible story about a lady who started, I don't know if the story is real or whether he just uses it as an um, illustration. Damon, if you could say that with a little bit more joy, I'd be really excited. Thank you, mate. That's fantastic. <laughs> he uses it as an illustration. There's a, a lady who owns a, a dressmaking store. And she starts making dresses and people want her dresses. So the shop gets a little bit bigger. She brings on more employees. The dress shop gets a little bit bigger. So she brings on a few more employees. And the, the, the business is really taking off, starting to have some, some push about it and starting to reach into other towns and other cities. And they get to the place where one of her employees comes along and she says, I don't understand why when we're this big, why we're just making dresses. We should be making everything, everything, textiles, curtains, whatever it is, we should be making it. And the lady walks over, the owner walks over to the drawer and she pulls out an envelope. And on the envelope was the, was the date that they started the dressmaking business. And she hands it to the lady with the complaint. The lady opens the, the envelope and she reads it. And on the front, it has a plan for every single thing that she just listed for. A company that makes curtains, that makes everything textiles. And the lady says to her, if this was your dream from the beginning, why didn't you share it with us? And she, and she says to her, because if I shared it with you, you wouldn't have come on the journey with me. It would have frightened you. You would have thought that I was a dreamer and you would have never, ever got on board. But it wasn't until she got to a particular position with the, with the job that she says, now I can reveal the next step to you. So God makes a plan from the very beginning when we stuff it in the garden, when we, when we do the wrong thing, when we, when we lean on our own understanding and God goes, I've got a plan, but if I tell you the plan step by step by step, you're going to wreck it again. 
So I'm going to drip feed you the understanding. I'm going to drip feed you the position because I know what's taking place because I'm outside of time. I'm outside of your worldly understanding, but I'm only going to let you know the parts you need when you need it. You ever been asking for a breakthrough like, God, I just need to see this. And he just gives you a little bit. And you go, this is great, Lord, but there's still so much to go. He says, yeah, I can't give you the whole thing because if I give you the whole thing, you'll fluff it. So I'm just going to give you little bits. I'm going to give you little bits. I'm going to give you little bits. And that's what God did with Israel. That's what God did with mankind. He said, Israel, I'm going to call you and I'm going to give you the opportunity to reveal the gospel. I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to bring to kings and priests what I've given you. But I know that you're not going to be able to do it. So underneath you attempting, I've got a plan to redeem the nations. I've got a, a plan to redeem mankind. And I drew it from the very beginning in the garden. You'll see Jesus all the way through to Revelation till he comes to consummate the age. I have a plan and it will bring you back, but I can't tell you it just now. And as I started listening, as I started reading this story and I, and I realized, man, the, what's on the envelope, I started taking the place that the world's in today the place, the mess that we're in, the hope in mankind we've put, the Lord, this is it. We're ready for this great awakening, for this great, this great outpouring. Here we go. And then it doesn't happen. And we realize we actually didn't have our eyes on him. We had our eyes on everything else. We allowed YouTube and, and QAnon and that friend down the road and my church leader to depict what it was going to look like for the next step of God's plan. And we failed to ask God, what's the next step? I've said this 135,000 times, but the, the lantern that Jesus is unto our feet is to step upon step. That it's the lantern that guides our ways. Now, that doesn't mean that outside information, that other books, that, that what people are feeling, what people are seeing, what people are reading can't help unto this. But what it means is that when that comes, everything has become an idol and it's taken us off the path God has for us. Over the last probably four months, I've had many people ask if they can speak to me about what's coming. And up until about January, I was willing to listen. And then it got to the place where I said, hey, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to ask God where he is. I'm just going to disciple people. I'm just going to ask him who he is. Because we get to this place where it becomes heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And God never said any of it. So what we do is we get, we get hungry for man's words. We get hungry for the next best thing. We get hungry for something more. And God's going, just look to me and I'll give you the next step. So we're standing flat-footed with the lantern showing us the next step. And we're looking around to say, what is it? Where is it? And God's saying, just look at me. Just look at me. When Paul says it's his mysterious ways, it's the mysteries of God, that should excite us because it's not our plan. We're not very good plan makers. Is that not the scariest laugh you've ever heard? Good gravy. <laughs> That's fantastic. His ways are not, are not our ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, 
making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It is a very big blessing that, that our ways are not God's ways. It is a blessing that he allows us to see his perfect will, to see his plan and purpose for our life, because ours isn't very good. In the big scheme of things, my ability to to plan my life is not very good. So when I lean on him and I say, Lord, I submit my thoughts, I submit my ways to you, and I want to see your ways revealed, that is the glory that he says it's for kings to search out. It's the glory for us to search out his beautiful way. It's the glory for us to search out his plans and his purposes. That's what we've been given to do. The words go out and they bring back life. God has spoken into us. He's spoken his words to us. And in that, it needs to return with fruit. That's why our life is to be a tree that bears good fruit, because that's the return of the words of God. That When we live inside those words, our life bears fruit and returns back what it should return. So if it's not bearing fruit, guess what? You're not living by the words in which he's spoken out because his words will always return fruit. So if you're wondering why is my life not bearing fruit, my challenge to you would be because it's not living in the words that God's given for us. We often say, and I have said many times, and I want to I apologize and I want to change my understanding, if I can. But we often say many times that God's kingdom is upside down. Right? It makes no sense to us. It's an upside down kingdom. And as I was thinking about this during the week, I was thinking, God is the glorious, magnificent creator. And he creates a kingdom that's upside down and makes no sense. And from our worldly point of view, we stand here and say, we've got it the right way around, but God's built it upside down. I realized how ludicrous that is. And I realized how many times I've said that. And I started thinking, that's not the case. God did not build an upside-down kingdom. The world turned itself upside down from the normality that God had created. Normal is the way that God built it. The place we live now, this worldview that we live in, is broken and fallen and has turned upside down. So when we live in a place where we say, no, God's kingdom's upside down, no, your perspective is upside down. My perspective has been upside down because I've created our worldly system as normal. I've created what I want it to look like. That's how it should be. And if God intervenes, it'll be wacky and crazy. No, that's the normal. See, when we change our perspective and we understand who God has actually created us to be, that when we got saved, we became we became. Uh, saved in him, our home became heaven. We live from that place down here on earth. That's normal. So when we operate in a system down here on earth, we're operating in an abnormal system with the normality of the kingdom. Does that make sense? So for Jesus to say to the man who was throwing, throwing slander at him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not normal in our understanding, in our perspective. But that was God's normal. When someone treats you poorly, we want vengeance. We want them to pay for the way they've treated me. No, I, I shouldn't let them walk all over me. 
they should, they should pay for what they've done. That's not the normal of the kingdom. The normal of the kingdom is to, to bless that person, to love that person, regardless of how they've treated you. That's what's normal. So when people say you're a crazy Christian, no, you're a crazy non-Christian. Because this is the normal. I'm actually living out the normal. That's what he planned for us. He actually planned for us to live in a position where he says, this is going to seem so foreign to those around you. That guy who just stole a thousand dollars off you, you should take him to court. You'll get him. I'm just going to let God deal with that. I'm going to pray for the guy. We get ourselves in this position where we want to protect ourselves all the time. And I found myself doing that in a, in a bit of a mess that I'm, I'm walking through at the moment. And, and I found myself on my knees saying, but God, they should have to pay for this. And God said to me, that's not my kingdom. That's not who I am. And I've realized we've had this thing wrong the whole time. God will deal with them. My job is to love that guy. My job is to say, this is terrible what you're doing, but I want to honor you. I want to bless you because I'm not going to allow you to treat me away and then treat you the same because I'm angry and I'm upset. But God says, my way is not the same as yours. My things are not the same. We cannot have, we cannot deal with worldly problems with a worldly worldview. Instagram that. We cannot deal with worldly problems with a worldly worldview. We have to have a kingdom worldview when we start to wrestle worldly problems. We have to understand the way the kingdom would respond in that situation. When things arise, we act from the place that we live in, we act from the place that we are. Because that's who God's created us. That's our normal. We, inhabit, we are inhabitants of a world that is not ours. We are sons, daughters, royal priests, heirs to God's kingdom. That is our normal. That's the right way up. Jesus says in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. We want to draw swords and fight. Fight for him. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't push back like that because he knew where he had come from. He knew where he was an inhabitant of. He knew the response was a kingdom response into a worldly situation, not a worldly response in a worldly situation. When we act from the position of, of, of the kingdom, sometimes it makes no sense. The amount of times Jess and I have said to each other, this makes no sense, but I'm going to do it. This makes no sense to give my rent money to that guy, but I'm going to do it. This makes no sense to go and to love on this guy who just called me for everything. But I'm going to do it because that's the kingdom, because that's the life I want to live. That's the person God's called me to be. Paul continues on Ephesians 3, chapter 8. 3 verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's response is that he is the least of all the saints. Think about it. If you want to call him that, the super apostle who has started the the revolution of Jesus Christ throughout all of the East, and he positions himself in a letter as the least of all the saints. How many of us could do that? How many of us in in our... massive ministries and our massive job at work in in who we are and who we carry say i'm the least of all of you see paul understood a very very important thing that christ had laid out that in humility we will never bring ourselves to the fall that pride brings us into that in humility we will continue to step after step after step walk in his path because we understand how fallible we are. We understand how quickly we make it not about him. Paul in his wisdom knew that if I come with a humble heart, I will not be led into pride that will will rip apart my ministry and stop the kingdom from moving. Right now, we have so many people inside the church who are operating in this untouchable state that I'm untouchable. That's not how the early leaders led. They led from the humility of their heart. They brought themselves before him. God, I realize how, how dicey this can be. I realize how quickly I can make it about myself. And he writes a letter to the very least of all. I'm the very least. And he held their captivation. He wrote a letter that we still read today in his humility. Mark 13, 22, 23, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus right here says, Even those chosen to lead great works in my name are able to be led astray. Even the elect that have been chosen to to bring the kingdom in the most amazing ways do not exit the ability to be led astray, that even they can fall. This reveals again and again and again, stop putting your eyes on mankind and remove your your focus from somebody, from something, and put it back onto Christ. Because Jesus is saying, even those who are in a high place, those who are leaders and teachers and, and guiders of me can fall in that place. The very least of all the saints, if humility leaves our heart, we have to reassess in whatever it is you're doing. If you think that you're the be-all and the end-all, you need to go back, get on your knees and recenter yourself before Christ. Because you know the hardest thing about deception, the hardest thing about deception is you don't think you're deceived. You stand in a place of deception. I'm not deceived. Of course not, because pride's gripped your heart so much so that you're always the hero. You'll never not be the hero. You're always the center of the story, but I'm not deceived. But what if you could be deceived? I can't be. Jesus says you can. Jesus says that all of us can be. 
So at any position we bring ourselves where we say, I can't be deceived, we're in deception. So what do I do? I bring myself before God and I ask him like David did, search my heart, O Lord, and find the things in my heart that aren't of me. What else do I do? I find people in my sphere that trust, that I trust with all that I am. And I ask them, M, do I have too many tickets on myself? Yes, you do. But you see, what we've created now is a thing called an echo chamber. And an echo chamber is where I get all the people around me who back me. I get all the people around me who love the tickets that I have on me and who will say, no, you're not, you're not deceived. And I just ask them, I do have a man, I have many men of counsel. Look at these, look at these five guys. Yeah, they all work for you. They all came up in your circle. You pay all their bills. Of course they're going to back you. Go down the road and ask the guy who's in opposition to you. Go down the road and ask the guy who, who loves God with all that he is, man, am I in error right now? I'll tell you, it's the most difficult conversation you can have. But it brings your heart back to a place of humility where you can come and say, God, I just want to see you reign. I just want to see your kingdom come. I have to do that often. I have to go to other church leaders. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? I think you're wrong. That's what the other guy said. So now I have to reassess. I have to go back to the drawing board. I have to ask God, why? Why did I see it this way? You know, there's times where, where it's been 50-50. I've asked three or four different church leaders from both in, this, in the city and outside of the city. And it's got 50-50. And I kind of feel like, well, I'll take that as a win. Right, but if it doesn't work, I've got to swallow that pie again. I did it wrong. God, forgive me. God, teach me. When, when humility leaves our heart and we allow pride to take over, we will most certainly fall. Paul says that he preached to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring forth light for everyone who is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The only way the things of Christ get revealed to us as a people is through His Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit reveals in us the things of Christ. That God reveals in us the things of Christ because it can't just be stumbled across. When we find the things of God, God has watched our life. He has planned and purposed from the very beginning. I knew you were going to be here. I had four or five other places for you to stop along the way and you didn't, but I knew you were going to stop here. God is waiting for us to, to heed the call that he's given to us. He's waiting for us to wake up. He's waiting for us to walk from jungle to jungle, carrying bricks to build his kingdom. He's waiting for us to get in our air-conditioned car and drive to meet with that person that we're supposed to meet with. He's waiting for us to respond to the things that he's laid before us. The kingdom of God demands a response from us. Otherwise, we sit on our hands. We sit on our hands and we just don't do anything. Waiting for heaven. That's not what the, that's not what the, the, the ancient Hebrews understood. They weren't waiting for heaven. Behold, the kingdom has come. It's here. We can operate in that. Ephesians 3.10, continuing on, Paul says this. In the ESV version, he says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That word rulers and authorities perked my interest. Why does he say that? Why doesn't he just say in heaven? But he says rulers and authorities. The King James Version says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known the church by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now, when you see the King James Version, they use a word that Paul's used before, principalities and powers, right? So in, in earlier in Ephesians, he uses the word principalities and powers. The word heaven here throws us Western churches off because we go, oh, it's talking about the heaven that we're all going to one day go and hang out in. That's not what Paul's talking about because he says the principalities and the powers. He's talking about the spiritual realm that hangs around areas and has control of that certain area. Right? He's not speaking about the angels. Why? Because the angels already know the manifold wisdom of God because they're in his throne room worshipping him day and night because of that manifold wisdom. So it's not them he's talking about. He's talking about right here on earth, the principalities and the powers, the demonic realm that takes charge of people, takes hold of people and directs them. He says that the church is to be the ones who reveal the manifold wisdom of God. Who's the church? We are, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the people of God. It's the people of God's job to reveal to the demonic powers the manifold wisdom of God. It's our job to reveal who He is to the powers that are wreaking havoc over cities, over nations. It's our job to reveal who God is. You and I, which means that we can't just sit on our hands and wait for heaven to come because we have a job to achieve. But I can't reveal the manifold wisdom of God if I'm not living in the manifold wisdom of God. So I have to start to ask and understand, God, what is your wisdom? We taught through James. James says that there's two wisdoms that operate, the one from above and the one from below. God is saying, learn who I am and live always out of the manifold wisdom that is from above, seated in the throne room, not from below, that rules from hell. In every situation that we go into, we get an opportunity. Do I reveal the kingdom of God or do I reveal the kingdom of darkness? When I respond to my friend who's been rude to me, do I reveal the kingdom of God or do I reveal the kingdom of darkness? Am I revealing the manifold wisdom of God or am I revealing the manifold wisdom of the demonic realm? We have to understand this. Because as Christians, this is our job. Everywhere that we go, we've got to reveal the wisdom. Reveal the wisdom that's above. Reveal God's kingdom. That's my job as a Christian, to operate in a place where I reveal the kingdom of God. If we fail to do this, darkness will continue to take over. People will continue to live. You ever had somebody you're walking with and they say, I just don't understand there's something different about the way you live. That's because you've been operating around them from the kingdom of God from the manifold wisdom of God. You've said things, you've did things that they find incredibly intriguing because it changed their life. Every time you meet with somebody who's a non-believer and they listen intently, they will test the things you say. I used to live in a, in a share house with a heap of my mates and I was the only saved guy in the house. And 
I never knew this, but one of my mates used to listen to me singing in the morning while I was doing the dishes or whatever I was doing. Don't have a great singing voice, but I was just bouncing around the house singing, right? And he said to me one day, he said, man, I miss what your voice, the way you sing brings to the house I'm living in. I don't have a beautiful voice, I'll tell you that now. But it wasn't that that he was experiencing. It wasn't my amazing vocal cords that he was amazed by. He was amazed by the fact that the kingdom of God in those times had resided in that house. That there was a peace that was brought. That there was a, a homeliness that was brought because I was operating unbeknownst to me from the kingdom, from the manifold wisdom of God. I was revealing to him something that was different. That's what God is asking us to do. But we have to stop letting the world tell us how to think and start letting God tell us how to think and how to act. Stop letting YouTube be your primary voice in your life. Stop letting the news be your primary voice in your life. Although if you're using Facebook, you can't do that anymore. But stop... Oh, little side, little side note. Awkward. Oh, tough ground. Stop letting QAnon, stop letting this guy, stop letting this political talk, stop letting your bank account, stop letting everything else tell you who you are and tell you how God is to be in your life and live and reveal the manifold wisdom of God. He finishes with this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. We have access, bold access into the kingdom of God. Boldly we can come before him. Boldly we can go into a situation that's not going our way and operate from the kingdom that he's allowed us to operate from. When we walk into our work setting, boldly we have access into the kingdom of God. When we walk into a problem in a, in a grocery store, whatever it is, boldly we have access to the kingdom of God. It's not a timid thing when we say, Lord, please, if, if it's your will, could I? No, Paul says boldly you get, to, you get to operate from the wisdom of God. His wisdom, revealing Him, declaring and honoring Him and lifting Him up as Lord boldly I have access. So now when I walk into a situation, I don't have to ask for his wisdom to be revealed. Solomon asked boldly, Lord, give me the wisdom that I need for this, to reveal your heart. We have to remember that we have been called and we can step in with bold confidence through our faith. We step out in faith, in boldness and confidence into him. And he asks us never to lose heart over what he's been suffering. I want to challenge you this morning. If there is something in your life that you're going, yeah, well, Ben, you don't understand what I'm going through. You are 100% right. I don't. I've never walked in your shoes. I don't know the mountain you stand before. But God does. And you see, the beauty of the cross is that not only does he know the pain, not only does he know the mountain, he, he went through it. He went through it. So when you say, well, God doesn't know what I'm going through. Yes, he does. Why? Because he went through it. Not only did he go through it with you, he's still standing with you. So in every sense of the word, he's going through it again with you and again with me. 
and again with the guy down the road. He knows our pain. He knows our struggle. But he said, with boldness and confidence, I allow you to come into my wisdom. I've said this quite a few times, but there's often times in my life where I've been in a situation that is well and truly above my pay grade. And I've asked God, I need wisdom right now. I need help right now. With bold confidence in the faith of God, he's granted me that wisdom. And then I've come through with an incredible story to say, that shouldn't have gone that way, but God. This thing shouldn't happen, but God. We shouldn't be in that position, but God. Paul is asking us to stop looking at the things that surround us. Stop allowing the things that are in our sphere to tell us who we are and to operate with bold confidence in faith in him that we can step into the kingdom. We can operate from the manifold wisdom of God, drawing on his perfect plan and perfectly who he is and operate from that place. Does that make sense? Is anyone a little bit challenged? Just in a smidge, smidge. I'll take it.